Hello, fellow Freedom Likers. Welcome to a legally drunk Tales from the Hill, a segment where we break down the craziest events in political history you've never heard of. I'm your host, Jake Hubertus, and as always with me, a man who in fifth grade called our 30-year-old history teacher old right to her face, Louis Donowski. Since when did I do that? <laughs> it was around Christmas time. You told her Santa doesn't serve the old folks. <laughs> kids kids within that age range are terrible people, me included. That's fair. That's more than fair. Like they're just yeah, it's just an awful age. Well, that's why we make up for it by talking about history as 24-year-old men. <laughs> also with us today, a man who deserves absolutely no introduction. He's a college admissions officer and therefore the lowest form of human scum. <laughs> and ladies, he minored in political science. One of my best friends in the world, please welcome to the show, Corey Pressel. Jake, I was going to say that I feel honored to be on your podcast prior to that introduction, but I think after that, I, I don't even know anymore. Either way, I'm happy to be here. I love listening, and I'm happy to participate. I'm glad you haven't tapped out already. Okay. Corey, you have the distinct honor of being the first true guest we've had on the show, so we hope you enjoy your stay. Absolutely. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin this episode, there are a lot of French pronunciations, and I am not French, nor do I speak French. So, Anne Amy, if you're listening, I apologize in advance. Do you need, do you need my rusty seven years of grade school French to coach you through some of these pronunciations? Hey, you studied under Madame Baranger. You know what you're oh, doing, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I do. I do. All the credit in the world. She was a real force. A credit to public school French teachers like my Aunt Amy everywhere. Seriously. So let's begin. Obviously, you guys have heard of the Cold War, right? Did you know that the Cold War was not America's first Cold War? And that is the story for today. Our story begins in 1794. Although the American Revolution had ended in 1783, there were a number of unresolved issues between Britain and the U.S. The Royal Navy would harass and attack any merchant ships the U.S. would send to countries other than Britain. However, with the outbreak of the French Revolution and the ensuing wars that followed, the U.S. became a sought-after neutral trading partner. What had happened was, the European powers, excluding France, were pissed off that Britain was destroying all of their merchant ships. So what'd they do? They said, Britain, you are a shitty little island and you need us more than we need you, so you're cancelled. Mm. Thus, the US became a valuable trading ally for Britain. They were cancelling before it was cool. I know. This culminated in Jay's Treaty, an agreement with Britain, which was supported by Washington and Hamilton, but not by Jefferson or Madison. This treaty would divide the country along party lines, with the Federalists becoming pro-Britain and the Anti-Federalists becoming pro-French. But for most of the country, Washington's support was enough to alleviate any concerns. So you guys have seen Hamilton, right? I mean, this is basically... 
this is basically what like that cabinet meeting scene was about when they have the rap battle over whether or not to help the French. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice throwback, Jake. Well, this is what I do. So there's kind of two things to glean from that whole spiel. The first is whenever countries back in the day got pissed at each other, what they would do is they would send pirates to go attack that country's merchant fleet. Wait, you're saying they would not get into a room and rap? Oh no, they would do they would they would do that too, but the the pirate thing was the main purpose. Mm. The second thing to glean from it is that this was kind of in the United States the defining political issue of the day, whether or not to support France, who was our first ally and was revolting against a king like we did, or to support more of the British side of things because it was more economically advantageous for us. And we didn't Mm. really have the power to support France militarily. Fast forward two years into this trade agreement with Britain and France is really pissed off. The revolutionary government was poor and issues an order to seize all the American shipping they could. This would result in the destruction of 6% of the entire American merchant fleet, causing losses in today's money of half a billion dollars. So now President Adams comes up with the brilliant plan of sending a delegation to France to ask them nicely to stop blowing up our shit. Luckily, the group Adams sent were all seasoned diplomats, including the current Secretary of State and future Chief Justice John Marshall. Oh, yeah, that dude. Big impact in shaping American legal discourse and the role of the Supreme Court. Right now, he's trying to stop a war. The Americans in Paris found they were unable to meet with the French foreign minister, the Marquis de Talleyrand. Instead, they were met by three intermediaries who told them that Talleyrand would take a meeting with them on three conditions. First, the U.S. government would provide France with a low-interest loan of $10 million. That's $200 million in today's money. The second, the U.S. government would compensate the U.S. merchants for all the shit that France stole from them. The third, Talleyrand wanted a personal bribe of $250,000, $5 million in today's money. So I know what you're thinking at this point. Was this like common to the time for <laughs> foreign ministers to do this? No, no, not not even a little bit. <laughs> it just it sounds very shady. Does not sound like the kind of thing they would do. But then again, you have to consider, right? This was right after ten, about ten years after the French Revolution, right? Something of we're, something we're around in there. the. We're in like the second government at this point, I think. Right. The the whole issue is like the French Revolution was this. It was our it was the discount American Revolution because it was like the same sentiment, but everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. And something that I think you see is like a pretty consistent theme across history is revolutions usually don't go well. And then when revolutions happen, the governments that come in are usually not politically stable. And then when they're not politically stable, corruption festers. So 
you know, yeah. this was probably right before Napoleon came to power too. Exactly. So it, 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 France wasn't a good military power. It didn't have a stable government. Like it was kind of ripe for this mess. To well, happen. that's exactly what I was about to bring up. So Napoleon at this point is a general who's kicking ass in Austria and France was really broke. And the only source of revenue they had really was whatever Napoleon would steal from the people he conquered, he would send back to Paris. I have a sort of setting the stage question. Yeah. Were these three terms or or conditions uh, a total and complete bluff by the French who probably Mm. were not in nearly as strong a stance globally and also were partaking in, in... a pretty massive war that the United States was not. A keen instinct there, Corey. Let's move on. It turns out Talleyrand was just trying to delay the negotiations until Napoleon was able to seize more money and turn the tide of war. Talleyrand and his allies actually all had personal business investments in the United States and wanted to stabilize relations for their own personal benefit. So... He purposefully demanded things he knew to be outrageous, including going so far as to threaten a French invasion of the United States. (laughs) Now that sounds like politics today. That makes a lot more sense, all of this. It was literally back then a version of give us your oil or we're going to invade your country. (laughs) It's worth mentioning that he did end up meeting with Marshall and his envoy, but nothing ended up getting resolved and they kind of just got mad and left. When word of this outrage reached the U.S., the pro-British Adams began to prepare for war and he encouraged his allies in Congress to support him. The Anti-Federalists, being very skeptical of what was going on with France, demanded that Adams release the tapes. So he did. And the American public was outraged at the way France was treating them. When the transcripts were published, the names of the French intermediaries were replaced with Mr. X, Mr. Y, and Mr. Z. This is why the incident became known as the XYZ affair. So I'm not quite sure what the purpose of censoring their names in the media was. To me, it just makes for a better name than it does at like elevating the level of scandal. Because do you think me, that? Do you think that this was like a moment in history where like the newspapers wanted to kind of sensationalize the whole thing and like they just gave it a, cl- a catchier name? Probably. It's surprising that the American public would really care about this. I mean. It's not like most of the country was literate as they were today. It's not like most of the people had access, regular access to news media and information. I think I forget what the what the what the 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 actual number was, but like for like information for like one story to actually permeate through the rest of the country, it would take weeks, weeks. I I just don't see what why most people would care about like a high level diplomatic dispute. Well, I think the reason why was because we were very sensitive about the world viewing us as a legitimate country at the time, especially by our really only ally 
France, I say really literally our only ally. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they view us as like this nation that they can just bully, I think that really pissed people off. Mm. The XYZ affair, or as Getty Lee would call it, the XYZ affair, would progress into what was known as the Quasi-War. While being careful not to seek a declaration of war, Adams built up the U.S. Navy, and Congress authorized the use of military force against France. Now, how they did this without actually declaring war, I don't really know. But, you know, even pre-Vietnam, they were just making shit up when it came to war, it looks like. <laughs> Talleyrand, realizing his mistake, started frantically telling Adams, Hey, I was just kidding. But the damage <laughs> was already done. His pleas were not for nothing, however, as Congress did approve a commission to attempt to negotiate a treaty with the French government. However, the quasi-war would begin to escalate. The Navy would begin skirmishes with French ships in the Caribbean, and the U.S. would express support for toussaint Louverture's revolutionary anti-French government in Haiti. The U.S. would also form an informal alliance with Britain and France with Spain. French naval vessels would be seen as far north as Egg Harbor, New Jersey. And the oh. U.S. Yeah. And the U.S. and the French would exchange capturing each other's ships in an unproductive stalemate. So literally, when we say this was a war, what was happening was two opposing ships would see each other and just try and take the other ship, literally like out of Pirates of the Caribbean. There wouldn't even be any sort of proper naval battles at this point. The U.S. at the time didn't really even have any proper warships. They just had small, quick boats that they would use. So were they actually U.S. ships or were they like proxies? So they were legitimate naval vessels, but our Navy was like really nothing compared to the British Navy. And we were just kind of the British. Na our alliance with Britain was more just like, France can't really come at us full force because there's this threat of the British Navy, which is the, by far the most superior Navy in the world, to, you know, come down hard on them in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So what was the real, what were the real casualties or devastation of this conflict? Because obviously history has not deemed this a war. And this is, as you sort of alluded to or, or set up, the pre-Cold War uh, back in the 18th century. So what was the real, you said 6% of U.S. ships. What, what was that or what does that really mean? So in terms of casualties, it was like less than 100 people died total. But it was really damage to both countries' fledgling economies. That was the main issue. And there was also in the U.S. this theme that would carry out uh, really throughout the entire beginning of the 19th century and through the War of 1812, that U.S. sovereignty in international waters was not being respected, be it by the British, be it by the French, be it by the Barbary pirates. Everyone kind of felt that they could just bully American shipping because there was really no threat of the American Navy coming to stop them because there was no proper American Navy. 
So the majority of the damage was economic and and just in terms of the image of the United States. This story would take a very, very strange turn with a man by the name of George Logan. Logan was a Quaker and a member of the Pennsylvania State Legislature. He decided to sail to France to see just what the hell was going on. Logan arrives in France and actually does manage to somewhat defuse the situation with the French government, establishing that at this point, both sides just wanted peace. Logan returned to the U.S. to give Congress the good news, but was meant with a little hostility. Apparently, Congress wasn't happy that some random jackass was negotiating with a hostile power on their behalf completely behind their back. Isn't that what's been happening the past four years? (laughs) Congress would in turn pass the Logan Act, making it a crime for citizens to negotiate with foreign powers on behalf of the government. Wait, hasn't that hasn't that like actually come up as like an issue? (laughs) <laughs> like in the news where people are like i think i think people in the trump administration are violating the logan act it, yeah yeah it's actually come up i believe it also came up in the chelsea manning story if i'm correct as well uh, but i believe yes there was there was i did read an article about the logan act in time magazine researching for this story and it was like a modern uh analysis of the act and as it pertains to the Trump administration. Good for good for George Logan having a an act named after him. It's just mm-hmm. a simple Pennsylvania legislature living in the 18th and 19th century. That's kind of exciting. He retroactively had his actions declared a felony, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guess that's the dream because I've always said, oh, oh, you're right, Corey, a mark of success is when you have haters. And I think this is one of the truest instances of that. And you know what? Like, to his credit, it wasn't illegal at the time. You know? So right. Good for him. For as, we say, as, as we say on this show... Well, if it's legal, what's the fucking problem? The story would begin to wind down, however, in 1800. Napoleon would come to power and say, Okay, enough of this bullshit. Let's end this conflict. France has bigger fish to fry at this point. Interestingly enough, Napoleon would keep Talleyrand on as foreign minister, and Adams would send a new delegation to France to negotiate. This was a pretty unpopular move by Adams from within the Federalist Party who really wanted to go to war with France. And the Anti-Federalists, while this is what they wanted, were still pretty pissed at Adams. This, coupled with the Alien and Sedition Acts, would go a pretty long way to Adams not winning another term. And Jefferson, really leading the coalition against him, would skyrocket to the presidency as a result. The Treaty of Mortefontain would end this conflict, and also formally end the alliance between the U.S. and France. This would be the only alliance the U.S. would have until 1849. And that alliance was with Hawaii, so it you know doesn't even really count. We saw what happened to them. <laughs> well, if you can't beat them, join them. And that's the story of how one greedy SOB started America's first Cold War. 
Well, I think it's remarkable that the United States didn't have a real ally for 40 more years. Like, how did they, I mean, we know how they got by. Britain invaded them. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, being recognized on the world stage, I think even back then required some degree of some sort of alliances. I mean, they were not that powerful at the time. Well, I think it's more of the notion of entangling alliances, because if you remember at the time, France, we hadn't bought Louisiana yet or that territory. So France still had a large presence in the U.S. They still own. And I think they lost Quebec at this point. Uh, But Britain owned Canada and Spain, I think, still owned Florida. If not, they still held territory in the Caribbean and Latin America. So. If the U.S. allies with Britain, well, you have two hostile powers in Spain and France ready to invade you at any time. And if they ally with France or Spain, they have Britain ready to screw them over at any point. So it's really just kind of a lose-lose for for the U.S. in having any sort of strong alliances. And you also have to remember that the country, especially at this point, had such a big emphasis on private property and commercial enterprise that protecting our trade interests was our really, it was really kind of perceived as the only thing the federal government had to do. It was a simpler time. (laughs) Well, well, it was no treaties until 1849, which was with Hawaii, which was only 11 or 12 years prior to the Civil War. So I guess you just like saying that date in my mind made me just sort of realize how short our country's history is and how fast things have moved. It was not very long ago that all of these things were happening. So that's, I guess, what popped into my mind, which is totally not relevant to your story, but (laughs) just something I was thinking of. No, I mean, it's a good takeaway. In the words of social distortion, the U.S. grew up fast and they grew up hard. Something was wrong from the very start. (sighs) Anyway, thank you to Corey, who we hope will become a bit of a mainstay on the show. Thanks to you, the audience, for tuning in. Thank you to Lou, as always. And let us know what you'd like to see next from this segment. Until next time, we're out.